Ed Loth, president and CEO of Maramaca Copper. We're developing the Maramaca project in northern Chile, and we've just appointed Asenco to lead our permit development and our definitive feasibility study. Okay, well, well done for getting to this phase. Uh, exciting stuff. So DFS, Asenco, obviously great reputation. You've brought them on board. What have you asked them to do precisely? What's this DFS involved for you? Yeah, we ran a pretty competitive process. We went out to a lot of groups. Um, we have worked historically with Asenco and they've impressed us. Um, but as part of our process, we wanted to go out and see who else might be interested to partner with us. We're actually pleasantly surprised, but Asenco did make an exceptional bid. And I think one of the things we really like about them is they've just come off a recent uh, major copper mine uh, construction. So a really good partner for us. They're, they're building, currently building and about to commission the Mount Verde project, which is owned by Capstone. Uh, so really an exceptional partner. The, the definitive feasibility study is about bringing together all of the disparate parts of this project, all of the uh, aspects of that project, uh, metallurgical, the updated resource, the new mining figures, and um, and creating that plan and the capital and op- operational cost estimates to get us to uh, a construction decision and then eventually into production. So it is a very important piece of work. Uh, it's where the really detailed technical engineering work um, comes to the fore. At the end of it, we'll have a very good idea of what this will actually cost us to build it, uh, given the new scale and the new size of the project we're looking at. Right. Okay. Well, I wouldn't mind getting into detail here because like most sort of uh, economic studies at the moment seem to be terrifying companies uh, and then subsequently terrifying the marketplace. This is something that you have to put together to persuade bankers, uh, like I used to be, to say they, they've nailed down the cost. The in, inflationary environment is not as terrifying as we once thought it was. Costs have come back down to more reasonable amounts and the margins will be there for this company. So what what are the areas that is going to be particularly important for them to focus on? What are the, what are the kind of big ticket components which you're trying to get um, a, a grasp of? Well, the most obvious one is uh, capital cost and then operating cost because that drives, obviously, the cost of us getting into production and the amount that we need to borrow and raise from equity investors to get into production. And then the operating cost uh, is is the driver of how much we can borrow from the banks and you know what our leverage capacity is, how how much of a safe investment will be, but it also is the overarching driver of what our returns will be for our equity holders. So those are the two most obvious important parts, uh, but really um, in order to underpin the assumptions that go into, because it is assumptions until you're actually in operations, uh, you need to have a very rigorous analysis of all the technical aspects of the project and how they all interlink uh, um, so that the banks that the numbers we're presenting are actually what's going to occur in reality. Um, and then I think the final piece of it is what really, how robust is this project? We think it's very robust, i.e. how much can it weather the storms, the, the external influences on our business uh, on a day-to-day basis. We think Maramaca is exceptional, uh, but this document will really go a long way into proving that it is an exceptional project from that perspective and it's all very financeable. Right. It- Right. Okay. And and it's that it's that financing that's kind of interesting. You know, some companies some companies come in and go, oh, 50, 50, 60, 40, 70, 30, Right. W- what are the things that the debt provider, because that's the kind of non dilutive component that most investors will be kind of honed in on. What are the what are the aspects of your business which would be most attractive to the debt providers? Well, so firstly, it's it's relatively low capital intensity, which means at overall we have to borrow less money. Uh, we have. Decent, so I'm talking uh, top of the first quartile, bottom of the second quartile, all in sustaining operating costs, uh, which is obviously very important 
um, in terms of underpinning the interest payments and, and principal repayments for our debt. So those will be the most uh, obvious areas, but they'll focus right in on the, okay, what have we assumed for mining costs? Um, what, are we, what are we assuming in terms of the assumptions that go into designing our mine? What are we assuming as our recoveries? Um, the areas that mines typically trip up is when you go to mine a resource, it's not there, and or when you go to try and recover the, the material that you want, more difficult than you expect, expected to get out of the host rock. So they'll be focused on those two things. And and really, when it comes to the amount that they're willing to lever, uh, they look at reserve life. So how much are you borrowing and how much tail is there in terms of the reserve if things go wrong, which they often do. Um, they'll have coverage ratios, i.e. how much money do you produce on a quarterly basis, on a on an annual basis, uh, relative to what you're expected to pay in interest and in principal. Um, and you know, there's various different uh, ratios that they'll be focused on. My feeling with this project, having been through this process uh, several times on different mining projects, is this is a very robust and defendable project and is likely to have a high amount of interest from debt providers. Okay, okay. And obviously to kind of aid that process, you've actually just made a, um, a new hire. Now, he sounds Italian, but I suspect he's not because he's spent a lot of time in Chile. So tell us about uh, this new arrival. Yeah, Giancarlo Bruno uh, is Italian heritage. Uh, parents are Italian, I believe, but was born in Chile. He's a Chilean national. Um, he is an exceptionally experienced operator and builder of copper mines in Chile. Uh, he recently retired from his role with Capstone Copper having previously been the CEO of Mantos Copper, which which is a, a key part of that uh, combination that occurred, which has created the new capstone. Um, you know, Mantos Copper was a remarkable success. It was, uh, you know, they, they acquired the assets that formed the Anglo-Norte uh, operating unit from Anglo-American in about 2015 and have subsequently turned it from a three or $400 million acquisition to a multi-billion dollar company. Uh, so remarkably successful, and Giancarlo was the CEO of that business before it merged with Capstone. Um, yeah, he worked. He's worked in Chile and copper for 35 years in some of the biggest mines in Chile. Uh, most recently, he was uh, the, the operating unit vice president for the Anglo Norte uh, business unit with Anglo American, and prior to that, with with Coyuas. And so he knows Chile and copper. Uh, he doesn't want to be an executive. Uh, he's, he's you know pretty adamant about that but he feels like he's still got quite a lot to give to the Chilean copper sector and he's very passionate about it and so we're very fortunate to have him on board at what is a quite an important time for us yeah like I guess navigating the kind of um the political and by that I'm really kind of pointing at the the Chilean um ministry for mines is 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 going to be really important to you you know Chile obviously it has been a sort of and currently is a uh, epicenter for for copper glo- globally, but um, you know we've come off the back of new constitutions. We've come off the back of um, some of the gold miners struggling to actually get projects uh, looked at, let alone approved. So, what what was his role be specifically? What's he going to really bring to the table for for you guys over and above the kind of engineering and and, and company building um, component? Yeah, he's. Uh- He's obviously far more than just a, an engineer. He was the CEO of Mantos Copper, which meant that he had a far more strategic role. He was involved in the financing. He was involved in the environmental and permitting aspects. Uh, he was involved in the strategy um, generation. And then clearly, he played a key role in the appointment of Asenko as the EPC contractor for 
Manteverde and then overseeing that contract. So there are just an enormous number of things that he can help us with. Um, I think the key areas that I see a focus for us is one, he's been through this process of transitioning uh, to a construction and then operation um, recently in Chile. He has a huge network of Chilean operators and uh, you know he's a, he's, a, he's a known figure amongst the Chilean mining fraternity uh, and that's only going to be more useful as we get into this permitting phase, uh, which is all important for us. Right. And, and I guess the other thing the companies are struggling to do is actually, you know, get into production. Um, so if I'm, I'm looking at the market at the moment, obviously copper's come off a, a little bit on, on news, of a, a little bit of um, surplus in the market at the moment. I think expectation is that in the new, new year it um, gets back to that $4 amount. How, how do you manage the kind of the process of advancing the project um, during, during phases like this and obviously as one of the I guess you, you probably argue you're kind of one of the next cabs off the rank in terms of new copper um, production as well have you got the money to kind of get you through um, this this phase yeah absolutely we've got a, we're fully financed for everything that we need to do uh, for the next 18 months um, so that includes submitting our permits starting to build out our owners team and finishing our definitive feasibility study that's the benefit of having Mitsubishi Corp as our new strategic partner uh, Mitsubishi has the ability to uh, invest more money to go to nearly 10%, um, and we'll be having a lot of discussions with them about their strategy. And one of the things we'll be saying to them is, we don't want to slow down, and at the end of 2024, we will we will be wanting to, once we finish the definitive feasibility study, go straight into detailed design and engineering, getting ourselves prepared uh, for final investment decision to kick off building this project. Um, so from our perspective, we're very fortunate that we've got the money. It means we can crack on and continue to do the things that we need to do to march this forward. The short term, as you called it, surplus, I, I call it speculators fear that, um, that there may be uh, a slight hiccup in demand, uh, which to be fair, I'm yet to see. Um, the data out of China shows that in Q3, it was a record quarter for copper imports to China. So we're not seeing... Uh, and that comes through yet. It may still occur, but we're not seeing it come through yet. Uh, so from our perspective, the timing um, couldn't be better, to, as you say, to be the next step off the rank. There are very few new projects that will be built in the next five years, and we expect to be one of those projects. And really, the timing couldn't be better because we we are incredibly bullish on the copper price in that time frame. Right. And the one thing you did mention in there was that you, the, the promising, right? So um, you got to sub- well, so have you submitted it yet or when will you be submitting it and how long does that usually take? So we are, the appointment of Asenko is for both the permit engineering and the definitive feasibility study and they're slightly different in terms of what is required. Um, so we are targeting submitting our permit application in the middle of next year uh, and we will be submitting under, under a DIA, which is the less onerous of the two permitting regimes. Um, as a general rule, it takes less than 12 months. We are assuming that it will take us 12 months in order to get our approvals from the authorities. There is a slight risk that we uh, move into the longer time frame, which is about a two-year process. Um, so we would, at, in the worst case, expect to lose another year on top of that. That means that we would be targeting, assuming that we can get the finance together to be in production, commencing construction sometime between the middle of 2025 and the middle of 2026, and we would be producing sometime 
uh, towards the end of 2026 or 2027. Right. Okay. And it, it, say there is is a delay there. I mean, wh- what does one do? One doesn't sort of you know tread water. W- what are the options available to you? Um, and I guess that might involve actual <coughs> access to capital to do something. Yeah. The, the the delay. If if there is any sort of a delay, yeah, there's plenty of things that we can be doing. We will finish the definitive feasibility study and then go into basic engineering still there's no reason to delay any of those sorts of things part of the reason our strategy is to get the permit application in as soon as possible rather than doing it after we've done our definitive feasibility study is so that we can run various work streams in parallel and and not lose any time or lose as little possible time as we can um, during the uh, transition to producer so there is a lot of work that can be done uh, as far as we know now Mitsubishi is a very supportive partner of ours and is willing to continue to invest in the project. Um, we have a lot of groups that are wanting to be a part of our development story. So I don't think capital will be the issue. Uh, I think more than anything, we just want to deliver uh, as quickly as we can as a company. Okay. Well, look, I appreciate the update. Um, we will stay in touch with you um, um, as, as things uh, evolve and um, appreciate your time today. Thank you.